Hey, before we get started this morning, I want to say, last week, I had you stand. We had kind of stand in, in groups, right, in generations. And one of the things I asked was that, um, was that you would take time, that you would connect with one another as a generation, that at some point in the afternoon before you left, you would look across at one of those other groups that was standing and you would say, you have meant something to me. I value you. Thank you so much. Or you would even make a commitment to connect with somebody specifically. And so I'm wondering today is if you did that, was there anything that was really meaningful for you? Or if somebody approached you, um, was there something really meaningful in that that you would like to share? Is there anybody that just remembers something, a moment from last week where somebody came up to you either at the barbecue or here in service and made that connection like I had asked uh, and or that you made a connection that something you felt like and you wanted to kind of just quickly share that with us this morning. Anybody? I'll share. Yeah. Sonia, go ahead and stand up if you would, please. I know you love that, don't you? When I ask you to stand up, I know. I know, Lord, have mercy. I'm getting a phone call tonight. Ooh, Jesse's getting my phone call now. <laughs> As I walked out, I realized that I already have so many connections. Yeah. And it's so easy. I mean, the first thing I did, I walked out, and there's Addie and Ava giving me hugs. And then I went out. And I, as most of you know now, if you got the email, I'm working with Angie on her wedding. And so out there, you know, we were talking about different things and different people and how we're going to do whatever. And different people that are also helping came up and asked questions about what they could do and, and that type of thing. And so um, Sandy comes up and says, now about those flowers, you know, you got to do it this way. <laughs> Instead of running around and getting flowers for everybody, have them all bring them to you, you know. And... Uh, so it's, it's easier than we think. It's really not hard unless we make it hard. And so I think that what I like is that whenever I make an, I was going to say an effort, but I don't know that it's even effort. But whenever I go to somebody or talk to somebody, it's really easy because no one ever tells me to get lost. <laughs> That's so good. Thank you, Sonny. Anybody else had a moment of connection last week or a thought? Yeah, in the back. Katie. Yeah, kind of like Sonia, I can't say this was a result of this last week specifically, but it reminded me that... Um, we can turn to God, and I just want to give him the glory. And this, we can turn to him when we want that connection, and I believe he will make it too. Yeah. Um, a year ago, I was praying and asking God to give me some spiritual mothers because I felt like I was in a place where I wanted someone to look up to who would disciple me. And within a month, he had women approach me and ask if they wanted to get coffee because they just felt like God was telling them to. Mm. And that's the only thing wow. he does. Yeah. So if as a result of the message last week, anyone's just wondering, well, how do I even start? It's simple to go out, but if you also need help, ask him, and he'll answer. Yeah, very good. So very good. I had a chance after service, Cindy and I went to um, 
to Pastor Randy and Kathy's and spend a little time with them. And that was uh, so encouraging. I mean, you know, went over there hoping to pray for him and encourage him. And, you know, I just, I never walk out of their house without having been encouraged and feel encouraged. And I just love that about them. And, and then even during the barbecue, several people came up. Uh, Steve was one of them. Steve, thank you so much, brother. First, he kind of came up and felt like he was just saying, hey, good word this morning. You know, it was really encouraging. And he, he like just had a moment where he stopped and looked me in the eye and said, no, I want, you know, I really value you. I really appreciate you. And, and that so encouraged my heart, man. I really appreciate that. That was so good. Um, well, would you stand with me this morning as we pray for our pastor in his sabbatical time and then read the word? We got such a lengthy scripture this morning. I'm going to try not to keep you standing too long. Lord, um, we just ask again that you would be with us this morning as we receive your word, as we uh, acknowledge you, as we open ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit. We continue to pray for our pastor that you would give him refreshing and renewal and be with he and his family during the sabbatical time, Lord. May he experience you in fresh and new ways every day. Amen. And we turn to the word this morning in Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. Have a seat. <laughs> if you have reservations at Ranchitos, call them and tell them you'll be there a little sooner than normal. Short scripture this morning. Pretty much just calls it. You shall not murder. I feel pretty good about that. I've been feeling a little beat up during the series, quite honestly. Um, week after week, feeling like, man, if I can't even get these ten things right, how am I going to live this life that God wants me to live? You know, here I am. I've been a Christian so long, and I still feel like I can't even do the top ten things well. I struggle to make things in my life idols, things that are too important to me, and I want to back away from that and keep Christ first. I had a hard time, and, and many of us had, last week talking about honoring our parents. And just when I feel like I'm being a lousy Christian, commandment number six comes along. You shall not murder. Check. Yes. The happy dance. Woo. Right? I mean, finally, one we've got. <laughs> Or not. <laughs> but before we get too deep in this message, I do want to quickly recap where we've been. You know, the funny thing is when Pastor Dan and I started talking about this summer series and kind of planning it out and decided what the theme was going to be in the topics, um, it was funny. We were talking about different speakers and, and how we could have this up. And he said, you know, Pete Wilmot comes all the time and Pete's just such a, you know, you know how much I love my brother Pete. I mean, just value and esteem him so much and Pastor Dan would say, you know, he comes into my office and he, he always wants to make sure God is first in his life. And he does so good about making sure he doesn't keep his possessions aren't too important to him. You know how important Pete's truck is? Magnus. Magnus is important to him. But, you know, he's always checking in and making sure it's not too important. So Pastor Dan's like, that's kind of Pete. So I'm going to have Pete cover, you know, that you shall have no other gods before me and shall not make for yourself graven images. And Dave and Laura, Pastor Dan is always concerned that Dave and Laura are just working too hard. They do so much around here. It's amazing how much they do, from, from the worship team to preaching to teaching to the AV stuff, the, the overhead, the leading small groups, the leading the programming team, the barbecuing and the barbecuing and the barbecuing, which of course is the most important ministry they have, <laughs> the barbecuing. There's so much that they do, and, and so Pastor Dan's like, I want Laura to just talk about the power in my name. I don't want her to tire. I don't want her and Dave to, to get weary, and I want her to talk about keeping the Sabbath and rest. And keeping it holy. And of course, he says, Wayne, I know 
I know you and I know how well you've tried to honor your parents as they've aged and how much you want to be a good mom and dad and how much you want to keep your heart pure. So I want to, I want you to speak about honoring your father and mother and you shall not murder. It really makes you wonder who's going to talk next week, doesn't it? How you doing, Jeremy? But for this week, we're here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Recall that when asked about the laws and the greatest or most important of them, Jesus responded by saying that it could be summed up in these two things. The first is that you shall have, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it that you should Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember last week we talked about how these first four commandments are really about that first of the greatest. right? Loving the Lord your God. All four of them deal with loving the Lord your God. It's a great teaching method, by the way. We have some teachers in our room, Katie and Kent and my brother Darren down here. And they would tell you, being able to summarize, sum it all up into two statements. All of, all of the Christianity, all of... All of the spiritual theology you could ever want. All of the teaching you could ever intake. Sum it up. Tell us what you're going to tell us right up top. These two things. Now break it down for me. These ten things. Right? And then the next six commandments really deal with the second part of that. Loving your neighbor as yourself. So we've covered that. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself idols or graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord lightly or in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath, the day of rest, and keep it holy. And then last week, like I said, we sort of pivoted. We pivoted from the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to loving your neighbor as yourself as we covered honoring one another. And specifically, your father and your mother. Interesting that when he started to teach us about loving our neighbor, he started at the closest and most vulnerable relationships. Our neighbors that are right there in our own families, in our own homes. And again this week, we continue learning to love our neighbor by this basic command that you shall not murder. You know, in some ways, this is the easiest and the simplest of the commands. But I wonder if it's not often the most misunderstood. You see, the King James Version of the Bible, it's by far the most widely used and distributed version of Scripture worldwide. And has been for years. But it doesn't do us any favors in this regard. Quite frankly, it's just too old of a translation. Its translation of this commandment where it says, Thou shalt not kill, is often taken erroneously by today's standards. In fact, every modern translation of the Bible, including, by the way, the New King James Version, the NKJV, Translate this commandment, you shall not murder. Both English and Hebrew have two similar words for taking a life. But they mean two very different things. You see, in English we have the word kill, and in Hebrew that's harag, kill. And it's very broad in general. It means the taking of any living thing. It means the taking of human life deliberately or even by accident. 
It means the taking of human life legally or illegally, morally or immorally. It's a very broad word. And then there's the word murder, which in Hebrew is baksak. And it can only mean the legal, the illegal or immoral taking of a human life. The illegal or immoral taking of a human life. That is why we say, I killed a mosquito rather than I murdered a mosquito. It's why we say the worker was accidentally killed, not that the worker was accidentally murdered. So why does the King James say thou shalt not kill as opposed to thou shalt not murder? That original version of the King James? Well, it's simply because it's over 400 years old. Those words were synonymous back then. And I think you and I can agree that language changes over time. My brother Darren is an English teacher. And I think you would agree language changes over time. Even in my own lifetime. Language, and I'm so young. I did not turn 52 two weeks ago. Even in my own lifetime. Did we do thou shalt not lie yet? Where is that one? Am I good? <laughs> Even in my own lifetime, language has changed. There was a time when I was younger. Get this. This is going to freak some of you out. Where good meant good. And bad meant bad. I know. It's hard to imagine. There was a time when I was younger where good was good and bad was bad. Then there was this other season in my life where good was just okay. That's good. And bad meant good. You're bad. You're good. And then there there was this time not even a month ago where I was down in Colorado Springs and, and I was at work at our work office down there. And one of our construction supervisors walked in. He saw me across the room and he said, yo, Wayne. And I turned around and said, hey, Tony. And he said, that program that we implemented last week, that email, it said it was from the corporate office, but you wrote that, didn't you? In fact, you wrote that whole program. I said, yeah. And he walks over and he gives me one of these, one of the bro hugs, right? He said, man, does this. And he said, you a bad man. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I mean, from the bro hug, I thought it meant he liked it. But then when he said that, I don't know. I don't even know what bad means anymore. But apparently I'm a bad man. So I think we can all agree that a translation from the 1600s might not mean exactly the same in today's vernacular. Now, does that mean we throw out the whole thing? Of course not. It just means that from time to time, when there are things that we don't understand or are confusing, we have questions, we look at various translations. We study original text. We try to dig a little deeper. And... It means what I'm telling you this morning, that the Ten Commandments does not forbid all killing. I want to say it very clearly. The Ten Commandments does not forbid all killing. It forbids murder. Look, if it forbade all killing, then we'd all have to be vegetarians because killing animals would be forbidden. Now, hey, if you're a vegetarian this morning because of personal choice and conviction, go for it. And if you're a vegetarian this morning because of personal dietary choice, go for it. But you can't say that the Bible told you to. Now, it doesn't forbid you from being a vegetarian. That's fine. But it doesn't command you to. It would mean that we'd all have to be pacifists because we would not be allowed to kill. 
Not in self-defense. Not in protecting your family. Somebody has a gun to your wife's head and you have one in your hand, you cannot use it. We cannot kill in a righteous or a just war. We cannot protect the people we love. And again now, if pacifism is your choice because of ideology or belief, go for it. If pacifism is your choice because of personal conviction or experience, more power to you. But you cannot say that the Bible tells you to be one. You don't have to be a historical English professor to understand what the Bible means here. You know, our first tool when we're trying to understand the Word is the Word itself. It's called studying precept upon precept, truth upon truth. In other words, we compare the truths in any one part of the Bible to the truths that we read in another part of the Bible. Knowing that the Word will never contradict itself, so if there are times where it seems to contradict itself or we struggle to understand, we bounce those Scriptures off other Scriptures. We look for decipher better understanding. We look for context. We look for language. And in this case, these verses could not mean all killing. You see, this very same portion of the Bible that contains the Ten Commandments, it's called the Pentateuch, the the Torah if you're Jewish, those first five books of the Bible. And you'll find verses in there that command the death penalty. You'll find verses in there that allow for killing and war, that prescribe animal sacrifice and even allow eating meat. So why do the Ten Commandments address murder at all? Why is murder a no-no? I mean, it sounds kind of like a stupid question, right? We all have this sort of basic instinct that tells us it's wrong, and it feels wrong. I mean, most of us are saddened when we turn on the TV and we hear about murders. We're sickened by what happened in El Paso just yesterday. Right? It breaks our heart. But the question is why? Why is that always sort of in us? I think it's because it's instinctual when you are created by a God of life to understand that murder just is wrong. And that's instinctual for people who don't even recognize that they're created by the God of life. You don't have to recognize God to have been created by him. If that were the case, I wouldn't own a nice guitar. Because the guitar would know I am not worthy of playing it. My three chords that I know, and these fat fingers and hands, should never touch a guitar that's worth more than $50. Okay? But the guitar doesn't recognize that. It just plays because it was built by somebody who really understood how to make a nice guitar. And it only knows how to play like a nice guitar. It's a very basic level for us. We are made in His image. And it's just not right to murder something that's in the image of God. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Last week we talked about a very difficult thing for some of us, honoring parents who were abusive, honoring parents who did not live right, honoring parents who put on a shame. And one of the things that we stuck to, one of the tenets was, regardless of any neighbor's action, my parents, somebody who walks in this door, somebody I meet on the street, regardless of what they do, the very basic tenet of our Christian faith is that they are a son and a daughter of the king, whether they acknowledge it or not. 
And at the very base level, we can honor that in them. And I say to you, it is the same truth today. Sons and daughters of the king are made in his image and should not be murdered. The truth is, I joked a few minutes ago about finally having a commandment that we can all sort of check the box on, something I feel good about, I can do this. But the truth is, murder is just far too prevalent in our society, as we saw in yesterday's news. To assume that it can somehow escape the church, or to assume that it can even somehow escape us here at LifeSpring. You know that just a few days ago, there were three LifeSpring leaders sitting at a coffee shop. Three of them. And they are leaders that you all know, and you all know by name. They are leaders who prominently fill this stage in various roles and different things. And just between those three people, two had close siblings that had been murdered. Nieces and nephews that had been murdered. One had an attempted murder on a parent by one of the world's most notorious murderers. One of them had a sibling who has murdered somebody. Just between those three. And that wasn't the reason why they gathered. It was just happenstance as the three of them spoke. Just in that small table. So it touches all of us at some stage or another. These commandments hit home. But our focus has not just been to learn and understand the commandments. Our focus this summer has been to find Jesus in them. To find Jesus in them. And to understand what Jesus has to say on this topic, we need only look at the Gospel of Matthew. You know, the occasion has Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest and his fullest discord that's recorded in the Gospels. And it's a message of practical application. Although Jesus often spoke in parables and sometimes allegorically, the kingdom of God is like, right? You've heard that. Or to be like this, we must be like. But in this sense, this particular sermon, maybe the most notable of all of his sermons, he opts for practical application. He opts for straight talk. He gets to the heart of the matter and the heart of the basic application. I think it's because there's going to be a day where he knew Wayne was going to read it. And Wayne's not the smartest tool in the shed. Sometimes I just need you to lay it out for me, Jesus. And he did. You see, after the section on the Beatitudes, which by themselves is a whole sermon series, and we could speak today about murder and murderous thoughts towards our enemies, but we would be mindful to remember what the Beatitudes tells us, including proclamations like, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted and blessed are you when people insult you and say all kinds of false things about you but jesus goes on to address the law which of course the ten commandments are a part of and he reminds us that he did not come to abolish the law but he came to fill it matthew 5 17 through 19 he says do not think that i have come to abolish the law of the prophets that i've come to abolish them to fulfill them For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to set aside this commandment this morning. 
I don't want to skip over it. I don't want to gloss over it. I don't want to check the box. I want to know what Jesus has to say about it. And he goes on in verse 21 through 22 to say, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which really means you idiot. Literally, that's, that's the translation, you idiot is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Listen, if we're going to find Jesus in the Ten Commandments this morning, we have got to understand that Jesus was also interested in the heart of the matter. He was interested in your heart because it matters. Jesus knows that the pulling of the trigger, the throwing of the fist, any of these deplorable acts have always started somewhere with a subtle seed in the heart. And notice there that he is very serious about getting to the heart when he equates these consequences. Murder, he says, subject to judgment. Anger in your heart, same, subject to judgment. Call somebody an idiot or a fool, same, subject to judgment. Close to the fiery pits of hell. He is saying, before you get all self-righteous and check the box in your mind, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Well, at least I don't beat my kids. Well, I might call my wife names while we're fighting, but at least I don't hit her. Self-righteousness always seems to search for the next worst thing. So it can compare itself to that so that I can feel good about myself. But true righteousness doesn't search for the next best thing, the next harsh thing, the next worst thing, the next level of thing I can do. True righteousness looks at the very smallest seed at the deepest places of my heart. Not so that I can feel good about myself, but so that I can feel good about growing closer to Jesus and becoming more Christ-like. Lord, I thank you that I didn't stop and have that drink on the way home, but you and I both know that I still wanted to. So help me conquer that thing. Not just the box I can check, but all these little things down in here that lead me to that box long before I get there. You understand what I'm saying? Do you hear me when I say it's not just about the act, but it's about the thought that leads to the heart, that leads to the action? We can stand here in our anger, in our unforgiveness, in our bitterness, and we can pull what we call the Greg Brady. Right? Anybody, any Brady Bunch fans in the room? For those of you little kids, stick with me for a minute. You'll remember the exact words episode, Greg Brady's exact words, when Greg was trying to be defiant against his parents' wishes by saying, well, you didn't say this, Mom and Dad. I mean, those weren't your exact words. You just said, be home by whatever. So I was, I was in the driveway. And, oh, yeah, you want to go by exact words from now on, Greg? And there was this whole episode on whether Greg could check the box, and say he did the right thing, even though on the inside. And can I tell you something? I Greg Brady my way through life way too often. I'll be honest with you. I've been struggling writing this message because, some of because where I've been the last few weeks. Some because, just in the practical, I couldn't find my hook. I like a message that has a hook. 
some sort of analogy, some personal story that I can tell you, something I can thread through the whole message and ties it back together in a bow at the end. I think sometimes the hook is the difference between a good message and a great message, between one we hear and one we remember. I was looking in my own life on the outside when I might have been doing something I was supposed to, but on the inside, I was kind of exact wording. And there were so many stories I wouldn't have even known where to start. I thought about a time our son Kobe was about nine years old. He's always been the daredevil, the adventurer, the second born in our family. He always pushed the envelope. He wanted to go explore the wooded area around the campsite we were at at Deception Pass. Knowing his propensity for danger, Cindy asked him to stay safe and away from the edges. I mean, he's nine. We can expect this, right? It was no shock when Cindy found him clinging to the side of the cliff about 150 feet up. And she yelled out, I told you not to get close to the edge. He said, I'm not. The edge is over there. I've gone over the edge. Not even close to it anymore. Or when he was 10, not even a year later, and he was out with the Cub Scouts, and they were scaling a mountain path that was so steep it had to be a switchback, and there were a cable that was anchored into the side of the rock, and every Cub Scout had to be uh, tethered to the cable as they walked up this path that was that steep. And knowing Colby, the leaders told him not to fall behind and not to lose sight of the group. And about halfway up, they couldn't find Colby. Only to realize that he was about 60 feet above them on the side of the mountain. He had untethered himself as the group moved forward and then climbed straight up to be where they were going before they got there. Ten years old. And they yelled at him, we told you not to fall behind and we told you not to lose sight of the group. He said, I'm not behind, I'm out here in front of you and I can see you just fine. We got called that time to come pick him up. I wanted a hook. I thought about the time my youngest daughter Casey was 16 and she and I were in a weeks-long argument about the fact that she wanted a dog so badly and I had decided it wasn't the right time for our family and that there were certain criteria she needed to meet before we would even consider and begin to pray about having a dog. She continued to pester me. It was fight night after night and we would argue and my answer was always the same. You will not bring a dog into this house. So one day she called Cindy from her car in the driveway. She had gone and purchased a dog. It was in the car. It was in the driveway. So technically, she hadn't brought the dog into the house. But now she wanted to know what she was supposed to do. (laughs) I wanted a hook. I don't have a hook this morning. Tell you what I do have. I have a bunch of brothers and sisters and friends whom I know love the Lord like I do and want so badly to walk a journey towards being more Christ-like. And concerning this matter of murder and all the things that are stored in our hearts, Jesus very clearly says this in Matthew also. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that you have a brother or a sister that has something against you. Leave your gift there and go make it right.
first go and be reconciled. And then come and offer your gift. Folks, when our self-righteousness tells us that we can check a box, we're probably just not looking deep enough. We're probably just not willing to self-examine because not one of us yet has arrived. We are like this building, still a little under construction. He goes on to say, you heard it was said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward is that? Are you not even the tax collectors doing that much? And if you greet only the people, only your own people, what are you doing more than others are doing? Don't even the pagans greet their own people? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Last week, as we talked about honoring and serving one another, and particularly our fathers and mothers, we addressed the very difficult pain that is there for some of us who don't have great relationships or great memories, who can't go back and make something right with parents who've already passed. And I told you then, as we addressed that difficulty, that I wanted to hold your hand, that I wanted to help, that I understand. But the Word of God didn't give a disclaimer. So we had to address it together. And this week, I want to do the same. For so many of us, the anger that we feel towards somebody that we've left unresolved, the unforgiveness that we have, the offense that we've let fester, the hurt and the pain that we feel towards somebody this morning. It's causing us to sin. And we're just happy because we haven't pulled the trigger yet. I don't want to be trite. I don't want to give you a bumper sticker Christian answer to your pain. I can tell you this week that I'm sitting here and I know offense. I'm sitting here today having been very offended the last couple of weeks by somebody. Very hurt. That's impacted my family greatly. I'm, I'm standing here telling you that, that I get it and that if you feel that pain today, if there's been something you've not been able to get past, maybe it's something recent and something small, maybe it's something you've been holding on to your whole life. I want to say to you, I understand. I see you, brother. And I see you, sister, and Jesus sees you. And I love you. And I get it. And I want to tell you what I told you last week, that there's help. That we are linked to counselors. And if you let us know that you need help through something, we will get you that help. If you just want somebody to pray in love with you and talk you through it, I'm here for you. But I also want to tell you this as your pastor. I want you to have everything God has for you. I don't want you to fake it, but the Lord wants you to face it. And I want to help you face it this morning. As the worship team comes up, I want to remind you of this. On the night he was betrayed, let me say that again. On the night he was betrayed, not offended, not called a fool. 
on his way to an ugly murder. On his way to death he didn't deserve. I know you don't deserve what somebody is saying about you, but I promise you, Christ knows even more than I do. I know you don't deserve to be treated the way you were treated, but I promise you, Christ on that night didn't deserve to be treated the way he was treated. He was sitting with his closest of friends, the people he had spent pouring his life into. Now, I know that you are holding anger and unforgiveness partly because the person who hurt you was somebody you trusted. And I want to say to you, Jesus was in the upper room with the closest of people that he had spent already so much time pouring into. And he knew that one of them in the room was the one who had already betrayed him and turned him over to be killed. And you know what he did? Because he would never say to you, if you have something, then leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. He would never say that to you without having made it right himself. So he took the bread, knowing that person was in the room, and he broke it. He took a cloth, he wrapped it around himself, and he washed their feet. I wonder what Judas's foot felt like in the hands of the Father that day. I wonder what it felt like to break the bread and say, do this in remembrance of me. And I know he was saying, commune with me. I know he was saying, when you gather, commune with me. But I also think he was saying, do this, break yourself. And when you feel broken and unforgiveness, let yourself break. And when you feel hurt, let yourself... And every time you remember that word that stabbed you, it's okay, just do this. Just do this. Just be real. Don't walk in here with all of your Christian jewelry on and your fancy bumper sticker and play a part. Walk in here and say, this is me sometimes. This is me this morning. This is me this morning. And Lord, if you could call your children to communion, if you could wash Judas' feet, how much more am I able to stand up here and say, I am hurt and I am not going to bless that person. I am not going to run over there and feel all lovey-dovey. I encourage you, as I always do, to set good emotional boundaries for yourself. But I can recognize that they were made in the image of God. And I need to forgive. Especially if I'm going to commune with you. So we're going to sing this last worship song. And today we have an open communion. If you're visiting for us this morning, we want you to know that if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can feel free to take communion in this house. If you have young ones with you, we want you to know as a parent, we leave that up to you. If they're old enough to understand it, have them come forward and take communion with you. Sometimes we serve communion amongst the chairs. Sometimes we take it back to our chairs. Today it's open. We're going to worship. And during the song, come on up 
take communion as you feel led or not to take communion. If you want to take it back to your seat and have a moment with the Lord, do that. If you want to take communion right there at the table or even up here around this, around this platform as, a, as an altar, that you can do that this morning. But ask the Lord to help you. Let's move forward in forgiveness and wholeness. Right? In righteousness that seeks to deal with the smallest seed at the deepest, darkest places and give those things to the Lord. Amen? As you take communion, I've asked a couple people, Jesse and Debbie, to be up here and be available for prayer for you. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that. And then when we finish the song, we'll close the service this morning.